Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Please don't forget to follow Urbanistica on the different social media platforms and also let's connect on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Urbanistica podcast partner, Afri. Afri is an international engineering and design company providing sustainable solutions in the fields of energy, industry, and infrastructure. Are you ready for a new episode? Let's go for it. Storyteller, I have the pleasure to welcome you, Tamlin, to Urbanistica podcast. Hello and welcome. Thanks so much, uh, Mustafa, for the invite. I'm really excited to be on this side of the of the interview, although yes. a little bit more nerve wracking. <laughs> so, but thanks so much for having me on. My pleasure. So, how does it feel when you are on the other side, huh? Feels, it feels a bit weird, to be honest. Usually I'm in control and I have the questions in my hand and now yeah. I have to talk a lot more, you know, than I yeah, do on yeah. that side. So, but I'm excited. I'm excited. That's, uh, that's nice. And I'm very happy that we managed to do this finally now after I don't know how many years. Two? Yeah, I guess we met at Urban Future a couple years ago, right? Yeah, now almost a year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, in Helsingborg and then we we talked about doing some kind of collaboration and yeah. now we're making it happen so keep keep persevering I guess is the, <laughs> is the message there so. was it uh, how how was it like when you received the questions and so on uh how was the preparation like is it something strange for you because like you you're not often uh, receive a question and prepare you're the one who sending out questions yeah yeah it is a little bit weird but it, I, I really like the process actually because it mm. makes you really think about how yeah. you're going to because a lot of these things I've been thinking about for a long time but I haven't mm. properly you know said them in a, in a constructed yeah. way or anything like that so it was a nice process for me to also reflect a lot on mm-hmm. on the episodes that I've done and all the people I've gotten the chance to speak to. So Yeah, I think it's uh, how to say. Usually when you do the interview, you're not really reflecting about your own thoughts and philosophy. But when you receive the question, then it's a good moment that you put together and frame uh, how you think and what you, how you communicate this. So I'm really happy and uh, soon we're going to explore all of this. Uh, I love to hear more about you. Uh, Tell me about like uh, where you're from, uh, how you grew up. uh, And then uh, later we're going to talk about the smart cities, the podcast and more like into this professional world. But tell me more about you. Yeah. Um, So I'm originally from the U.S. I grew up in Colorado, although I was born in California. Um, And then all I wanted to do when I was younger was travel the world. I wanted to leave the U.S. (laughs) as soon as I could. Um, So when I was 18, I decided to go study in Chile, in Valparaiso. Um, Beautiful, beautiful city. I wanted to, I studied international studies there. And also worked a lot on my Spanish, obviously. And I also studied business. Um, after that, I I was traveling in, in South America after that, and I really fell in love with the Caribbean. And yeah. so I ended up doing uh, my last semester, my bachelor's also in the Dominican Republic. 
um, to finish off my degree. Um, and, and I traveled all over the Caribbean, got to know a lot of really interesting people. Um, and uh, I, I just couldn't stop traveling. So after <laughs> that, I <laughs> after that, I uh, went to Asia for a while. So hmm. I was in Southeast Asia for a little while. And then I landed in Kyrgyzstan, actually, in Central Asia, not the most yeah. typical of places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, when, when I was in Kyrgyzstan, I was working on a lot of different topics. Um, I was, yeah, in a very remote area in Kyrgyzstan. So, um, many hours from the closest city. I do yeah. uh, quotation marks uh, with city because it was, uh, now I see it as a very small town at the time. I felt like it was a city. Um, and, uh, I taught English there. I taught English teachers, English. I did a lot in women's education as well. Yeah. I think we'll dig into that a little bit more later, but, um, after I left uh, Kyrgyzstan, I was working in remote Alaska for a little while. Um, and then I landed in Europe after that. So, um, my, my upbringing in, in Colorado, um, I actually haven't, lived again for an extended period in the U.S. since I was 18. So I I feel um, I feel Coloradan for sure, but I definitely feel more of a citizen of the world now. So. <laughs> but like uh, all this like uh, experience, you didn't study anything related, how to say, to city or work ticks. specifically like with the planning or design. It's more like your relation to city was more about like traveling to different cities and exploring them. True? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I don't ever claim to be an expert on cities. Um, there are plenty of people at Babel where I work now that are that are um, experts in different aspects of cities. Um, I actually uh, started working a lot with communications and yeah. um, business aspects of um, uh, of different programs, etc. Uh, so I consider myself more of a communication specialist mm-hmm. um, when it comes to cities. And I've learned everything I know about cities and how they work from talking to people and building yeah. partnerships with so many different organizations across, uh, mostly across Europe, but also across the world. So That's impressive. So how 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 was your story with Bubble? Like, uh, because you work as a, like a teacher and, uh, and other uh, type of jobs, but this one was more close to this kind of city development atmosphere. Yeah. Um, well, I was doing my master's in Germany um, yeah. and I, I started um, looking at different uh, opportunities, looking for, for different jobs. And I came across a, a job opening at Babel. I started um, and uh, I worked for three months there and I loved it. I, I loved the world <laughs> of cities. I loved what I was doing. I loved the team at Babel. I loved the mm. passion behind it. And I thought it was a really interesting contrast to working so much on rural topics and in, in the rural environments in different places to now working with cities um, that I stayed. And I've been there for the last um, three and a half years now. Oh, so That's awesome. And you're, you're taking like different positions. Uh, if you tell our listeners about like Babel, what is the focus? Yeah, the focus um, is, so it's Babel Smart Cities. So you think of smart cities. I also call it urban innovation sometimes. Um, sometimes I prefer to call it smarter places or smarter regions because yeah. we're not just talking about cities now. We're really talking about, you know, um, every type of place that can become better connected and mm. can become um, more livable for people, right? Yeah. 
Um, and, and also, I, I like now to kind of frame it in the in the point of smart and climate neutral, mm. because we can we cannot talk about smart without talking about climate now yeah. and talking about resilient cities. So the focus in Babel, um, what we saw when Babel was founded, we came out of a research background at Fraunhofer. Mm. And then what we saw over over the time period was that um, the market was highly, highly inefficient. And that was causing a lot of trouble. That okay. means that um, the, the B2G market, right? So mm. um, how businesses are interacting with governments and how governments are procuring innovation, mm. et cetera, it's it, the average is around 22 months to procure a new innovation, wow. um, which is so slow. Yeah. By the time you procure an innovation, it's already changed, right? <laughs> it's already on to the next thing because innovation is inherently yeah, like, fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and government is inherently slow. So government mm. and innovation in, in itself cannot really uh, work well together. Mm -hmm. So our goal is to make it work well together, right? Is to accelerate the things, accelerate this this process. So um, everything that we do is related to that. And I think later on we can dig into some specific projects on how we're yeah. doing that. But yeah, that's that's the basic overview and our mission. So you started there working with communication. Yes. What, what did you see, like, uh, because your perspective is very important for, for how to say, us working with urban planning and city development. When you arrived with communication background and international business, did you see that we are missing something in, in, in the field? <laughs> yes, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, tell, tell us. Keep, yeah, you know, uh, in, I, I work with a lot of engineers and <laughs> yes. people like that with that background, you know, and of course, they're so important in city de development course, to, yeah. to look at the technical background, to look mm. at how to um, how to create strategies and all of this work. Um, and what what is often missing is how are you going to communicate this? these strategies and these plans to A, the citizens, of course, yeah. um, B, internally within your government, because we know how siloed governments work. Um, how are you going to communicate this in an inherent way? Um, and and also, how are you going to communicate this to other stakeholders, right? Mm -hmm. So looking at how you're communicating this to, to businesses so that you can actually um, businesses can actually understand what the city needs and organizations like us can actually understand what the city really needs and what their plan is and vision is moving forward so we can support them in, in procuring the right technologies to support mm. that vision. So te communication underlies everything yeah. that cities are doing, actually. Mm. Um, and, and I think not enough emphasis is placed on that. So, But, but like, why do you think it... it became like this is because like uh, in the university we are not learning to communicate or or, or why you think the reasons from your yeah, perspective I, I think education is a part of it mm. um I, I do think that if you go into um if you get for example a degree in i don't know urban development or anything like that i don't know how many universities are at actually teaching a, a large communication component to that um, I, I don't actually know the, the data on that, but uh, yeah, it, it could be a big part could be education. Mm. I think another part could could very well be that, you know, um, we we like to stay in our lane and people really like um, people who like to build strategies and to um, and to do the technical parts. 
they just don't like communication very much. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's just not what they like to do, right? They want to sit and they want to make these plans and then they want to get, say, okay, I did, I did my part, right? I did yeah, it. Get the job so, done. This is it. Um, and then it's up to the, the communications professionals within, say, government um, mm. to communicate that to, to the public, etc. But they were not involved in the process, this right? This is it, yeah. This, so they, this is... they don't know what's no. going on. This is yeah. what I see, like, there is, uh, I think you also noticed that uh, there is, like, how to say, a huge communication team, and then yeah. there is, like, a planners. Planners yeah. do, do the job and plan and vision and all this stuff. Then it's communicated by a team. And what you see is you don't see like it's communicated like the DNA, the soul of the plan or the strategy. Yeah. A lot of things is, is being messed uh, out. And what is uh, being communicated is like super abstract and very... I, I don't feel... You can easily see that this communica communication team was not really involved in, in, in the process. Exactly. When we talk about, uh, we talk a lot about co-creation, you know, mm. I, I could probably count um, a, a lot of times co-creation was mentioned on, on my podcast, right? <laughs> um, and you can probably also count a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Co-creation is definitely a, a trendy word, right? Yeah. Um, but what we usually talk about is co-creating with citizens, co-creating with uh, other stakeholders, which mm. of course is very important. Yeah. Um, but do do government uh, do these uh, departments co-create mm. with their communication professionals? Mm. That I, I don't think so. Not mm. so often. So Ex exactly. Uh, last time we had a workshop here uh, in a municipality called Solna in Sweden, and I, I was super happy because they actually brought their uh, a person from communication team to sit in the workshop, even not so much contribution on the technical part, yeah, but was involved like from the beginning so when they tell a story they tell it as how it is yeah absolutely and i've seen that also from my perspective um because i also have the task of course of communicating yeah um to cities about projects and about the work that Babel does right and on the impact of, of mm. our projects yeah and i can tell that story so well when i was involved in the project um but it's a lot harder i can get bullet points i can you know talk to talk mm. to my colleagues about it but it just isn't the same i just no. can't talk about it the same to the same degree as when i was involved in the project so exactly because when you're like in the room you hear how to say the discussions the fights the challenges uh, you feel the atmosphere so you can express yourself more in a realistic way later. So people yeah. can feel it also. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, so when you're when you're involved in a project um, with your background, um, how is the reaction of, of, of people on the table? Do they say, OK, why we have a, um, a communication expert or we don't need a communication expert here? H how is um, like our cities more like welcoming or no? I think so. I think it depends um, on the city for sure. Um, I've never had anyone say that to my face, at least. So maybe That's they're just good. being polite, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, but I, I think in most cases, it's clear if I'm involved in a project that there's mm. a communication element to the yeah. project. Um, that we need to communicate about this project. Usually in, in our case, it's that a city wants to communicate about something that they're doing about a project mm. to a wider European audience. And that is the, the network that Babel brings across Europe is that we work with so many cities and so many mm. different stakeholders across Europe 
that cities say, ah, okay, I want to get our story and our message and our lessons learned out to uh, European partners. So yeah. they they want that from the beginning. Mm. Usually it's an express need, right? Mm. And so. Templin, what is best? Is it like a planner or designer or architect communicate or a communication expert work together with a an architect or a planner? <laughs> I think it depends on the level of communication and the skill set within the architect mm. and urban designer. Um, I, I think you do need communication experts in a lot of cases when there's a high level of complexity, of course, in 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 that communication. So mm. in some in some projects, it might be that um, the the expert on the topic it, they need to very clearly explain more of the the strategy and they're good at talking mm. about their projects and they're just a skilled person. I've seen many people that are not communication experts but are really good at yeah. talking still, yeah. right? Mm. And in in and not just talking but actually understand. Um I have a I have a colleague for example, um his name is Peter Griffiths. He he works in our UK market. Mm. Um and he's an expert in in urban futures, but um, he also spent a lot of time in in journalism, right? Mm. So with him, I know um, I don't need like he can he can yeah. do that. Of course, yeah. I can support him, but yeah. he can do it. You know, with other colleagues, they don't have as much of a background, and um, and and the same goes off obviously for for anybody in in mm. cities. If they don't have so much of a background or experience, they don't feel comfortable with it. Then that kind of has to be assessed and say, okay, you need a communication expert there with you. Yeah, so it depends on 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 the aim and what uh, you want to communicate and the scale yeah. also. Yeah. Yeah. When when you when you talk with the, with the professionals, um, usually it's difficult to extract information. So you can uh, write a story or tell a story. Um, how can we help you with that? Like, what should we think about when we want to tell uh, information about a project? What is important? Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to think about um, what people mostly do is they tell what went right um, instead of talking about what went wrong and okay. also the impact. So mm. I think um, lessons, I, I shouldn't say what went wrong, but I, I often say lessons learned um, <laughs> to be more politically correct. <laughs> um, but I think we have to talk about the things that, that did go wrong. We have mm. to talk about this because it's important to communicate and be open and honest and transparent about that. Mm. Um, also so that other cities and other stakeholders don't make the same mistake. Yeah. Um, so I think outlining the lessons learned um, mm. Outlining, um, yeah, and outlining, actually, when we're talking about sharing about projects, mm. uh, Babo has actually developed a DIN standard for this. This is kind of underlying how our platform is structured. Yeah. Um, and within that, we it's that everyone who's sharing a use case can follow a set structure for that. Mm. Um, and that helps a lot with communicating about it, right, if you have that structure behind it. So yeah. um, I, I advise on using that use case structure usually, um, but yeah, also think about really impact. Uh, that's that's usually what I like to communicate about. So, mm. but Tamlin, like we don't usually tell about uh, mistakes and so on because <laughs> it's not going to sound good. Let's say I have a company or in a city, and I if I communicate what we did wrong, then people will see us as a loser. Like they will. They will. We will have a reputation. That, ah, I I listened to this person and they did this this mistake. So we will not have a good reputation. This is like mm -hmm. what we think about. Um, what what is your take? 
Yeah. Um, so with cities, I see it, it largely depends on the culture of the individual cities. For example, when we were in Helsingborg, I know that they had a really they they have an award for the biggest mistake within yeah, the council, yeah. right? And so you have this you have this culture around sharing mistakes that is very um, inherent and and driven by the by through that individual um, circumstance. But mm. um, so one is it, it does relate a lot to the culture of the organization and how how we can use that in some cultures. The the in some cities, the city officials um, really or the practitioners, I should say, yeah. uh, don't have that kind of support from their politicians. Mm -hmm. Right. So they have to be very careful about how they talk. Mm -hmm. um, so the I think you can frame anything in communications. <laughs> it's about framing it. And I a see your, your communication mindset. magic. Yeah. Um, so I think you can I think you can talk about mistakes in a way that um you you can people really respect honesty and and yeah. that's it across the board mm -hmm. um so if you say hey like i think um this is what we did really right mm -hmm. this is what we did very good start off with the good things right <laughs> um lay the groundwork <laughs> like this is what we this is what we did mm -hmm. good and then you go into okay this is um these were challenging areas for us mm -hmm. um these are the lessons that we learned from it and how we're going to improve in the future yeah um, and if you follow that line of thinking, I think you can frame any mistake as, hey, this is a lesson learned and this is how we're going to actually fix it in the future, right? Yes. So it's a, it's a way to, uh, that's why you're a communication expert, like it's a way to <laughs> to reframe uh, our, our words and reformulate instead of saying, uh, this was a big mistake and, you know, doing it in a negative way. But maybe we can, as you mentioned, Tell it in a positive way. This is a lesson we learn. Maybe you should also avoid doing this, um, like yeah. in in aim of sharing uh, yeah. information. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So uh, the podcast idea, uh, because Babel they didn't have a podcast, if I understand correctly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> how did you pitch the idea and started? Yeah, so um, actually, when I was going into my first interview to to um, come into Babel, I had a mm. colleague Pierre who's still at Babel, um, mm. and he mentioned in the interview that we they wanted to start a podcast. Okay. Um, and uh, so it was. I, I don't take credit for the initial idea of it, <laughs> um, but it was kind of you know set on the side until we had time. We mm. needed this. Um, then I. Um, after I was, you know, full time into Babel for maybe around a year or something, okay. I um I really wanted to pick up the idea. Mm. So I hired I hired an intern to support me with um with you know pushing the idea through, and she ended up being marvelous and could you know <laughs> uh, did we we hired her full time after that you know wow. now so yeah. she's still our podcast coordinator now okay um and so I I wouldn't be able to do it without her I wouldn't be able to do you know many of the things I do alone <laughs> I, I I give props to. Um, anybody who does it alone, um, but it's it's much more than that behind behind me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we we started it. We we came up with kind of a USP for it, which has also evolved over time. Mm -hmm. um, we decided on the format that we wanted to do a set format every episode, um, and we've stuck to that mostly. Mm -hmm. We've changed mm -hmm. a few things, but it in general, it's been it's been really successful. And um, and then what's been really incredible is we got lots and lots of traction yeah. and, um, and many different um, 
different partners have come to us wanting to do series with us. The first series we did was together with Smart Dublin, where we did, I think, seven episodes together with them because wow. um, they have different districts that yeah. they work in. Um, and a lot of really cool work there. Mm. Um, and then now we've done, uh, last year, we did a really cool partner uh, partnership with Resi, which is the Spanish network of smart cities in, mm. in Spain. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we brought together, actually within that, we brought together one, uh, we did four episodes last year with yeah. them. So we did one Spanish city from mm -hmm. a member from the network together we brought an international city with them and that was a format i really really loved um <laughs> like the last one the last one we did was with um the cio of istanbul and the director of the digital office of madrid yeah. together mm. and they didn't meet before right so these people don't meet before and we just <laughs> no. push them in a room together and say hey mm. let's talk about what you're doing together yeah. And then by the end of every episode, they're like, oh, we can like do like we can collaborate here and do mm, this. Yeah, exactly. So that's yeah, that's been a really, really cool aspect mm. of the podcast and how that's evolved. Yeah, I love your podcast. And and uh, and this is one of the main reasons you're here. So because I love um, I believe that we should be many voices and not only like uh, this podcast or that podcast, because we need different perspectives. And yeah. different to, to listen to different peoples with I different agree. focus. So to, we together we collect a lot of inspiration. Uh, so that's why I'm happy when I started the podcast. I started following you. I'm still listening to you. So tell the listeners uh, what is like the format and what are you focusing with your with your podcast content. Yeah, so obviously we focus on like urban innovation topics, but we've had many different topics on um, mm. anything related to cities, basically. We, we yeah. talk about it, um, but usually we take that lens of either climate or like innovation focus um, mm. topics. Uh, and we do focus around the cities. So we usually have city officials on, sometimes other mm. stakeholders as well. But um, we've now interviewed like 40 plus different cities and regions on on the podcast. Um, and, and the format really follows. Um, so we, we, we like to start off with like a teaser question, yeah. then we get into the main interview part. Um, and then we have our, our segments. <laughs> and so I really <laughs> love doing the segments. Uh, we have like, I don't know, eight different segments that we rotate through. Um, yeah. one for example is called like roll with the punches. It's my favorite one. I say that every time I do it, that it's my favorite one. <laughs> it really is. Um, it's uh, like answering this or that questions with your first mm -hmm. instinct. So we, we like to play a little bit with the interviewees as of course as well. Um, and then we ask every single guest a recurring question, which is to you, what is a smart city? Mm. Uh, and so we've collected, you know, now 60 plus different perspectives on what actually mm. a smart city means to them, yeah. which I think is really cool. So, yeah, that's how it, that's how it goes. It's fun because uh, the people you interview mostly are city officials, like people working in cities uh, and so on, like also with the positions. And then you come with the super funny questions. <laughs> yeah, I think they are they are not really uh they are not usually hearing this kind of uh, questions yeah so in in your podcast they cannot run away then now they have to face an answer and i just start laughing every time you you ask these fun funny questions yeah exactly and we don't <laughs> usually tell them ahead of time which, oh you don't uh, do no um, <laughs> so um I, I haven't gotten any hate mail yet no, for no, it no. so it's i think fun. it's okay because it's not live right <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's <laughs> 
if someone really has a problem with it, yeah, they can, yeah. you know, we can retract it. But yeah. so far, they've been really good. Um, cities, uh, city people and officials and politicians and everyone, they like to play games too, you know? Like, we have to yeah. have fun with these topics because if you work every day on climate mm. change, for example, and see the 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 dread of the of the world you know like basically really heavy topics we also have to have fun uh, yeah. about them as well like we're just humans right all trying to do our best true so. true but but i i faced a bit of um at least here in scandinavia when i do uh because the, my podcast is like two parts one of the about the projects uh and then one about the person yeah when it comes about the project i feel or what i hear Usually they are very, very, uh, now I'm talking about uh, people working in the cities. They are very, very careful with what they say. And usually what I get out is that things uh, in, on the homepage. So I feel like they are uh, very scared of saying something else than uh, what is on the homepage, which turns uh, it's a very boring conversation. Mm -hmm. Do you experience the same or do you felt sometimes like they're they are not really... Uh, they are a bit scared of of talking more. Yeah, in in some small cases, I feel like that is true for sure that they don't want to talk about certain things. They just haven't gotten approval, basically, to yeah. talk about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if you hit the decision makers, if you hit the chief, like mm. the CIOs, the CDOs, those mm. people, they're not so afraid. Um, they're kind of, uh, especially if you, um, I mean, if you talk to politicians, you can always tell that they're. Yeah, like they're they're very well versed in what they're saying. Mm. Um, and I also try not to poke the bear too much. Right. Mm. I know that uh, I, I know that they can't talk about certain things that are a little yeah. bit more delicate. Um, but I haven't I haven't the, the people I've interviewed have luckily been very, very open people. That's so good. I haven't um, had too many experiences like that. Yeah, that's good, because uh, like uh, in, in the sum that I interview, I try to challenge them. Uh, mm -hmm. But then I understand, yeah. okay, they, they don't have the, the permission to say this or they yeah. don't know so much about that uh, and so on. And I'm sitting here and being super curious. Oh, tell me about this. But what did you do here? And they'd be like, uh, no, no, I cannot I can't like, talk. I can't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so uh, how is the, the, like, tell me more about the process behind the scenes when you interview your guest. Uh, let's say that uh, a person, this ex person, will be your guest. How do you do? You find uh, you get nomination, or you like do a research? Yeah, it's been all across the board. Um, sometimes we partner with events like Urban Future, for example. We've yeah. also partnered with other events as media partners. Mm. And then um, in some cases, like with Urban Future, I basically tell them these these one of your yeah. speakers are really interesting. Can yeah. you ask them to be on the podcast? Mm. Um, sometimes it's that people approach us, um, also nominating other people, um, for example. Also, we're just talking to so many people as Babel. So my colleagues will come to me and say, hey, I was talking to this person. I yeah. think they'd be really good on the podcast. Mm. Or I just I have a quite extensive network as well. And I'm just thinking, ah, this I've mentioned mm. it to people in passing before. <laughs> I've had conversations with them. And then I'm like, hey, remember how you promised me a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that now. So, yeah. yeah, it all yeah. comes from all different angles. But we actually did just open up because now we've had a lot of requests. Yeah. Um. Come in. We did just open up a new page on Babel. Um. Mm. To where people can just yeah. fill out a form and request to be on it. So. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. nice. 
And and how is the process? Uh, you selected a guest, and how is the process until you publish the episode? Yeah, so we um, typically have like a 30-minute meeting. Um, don't need to always. It just depends on their level of comfort and what they like to do, yeah. um, where I kind of just walk them through the process and then um, talk. Uh, they, they tell me which topics they want to focus mm -hmm. on, or we do it via email, also works. Um, and then my my podcast coordinator and I just sit together. We've actually we can plan an episode in 20 minutes now. Yeah. Um, and we just, you know, uh, based off of their input and what we see, sometimes we don't have very much input from them if it's, yeah. you know, via a different person <laughs> or whatever situ situation it might be. Yeah. My personal record is um, I was at um, Green Cities in Malaga in Spain. Yeah. yeah. And we didn't have any episodes planned ahead of time. And I ended up recording six in 24 hours that I planned on wow. the spot. Um, it's like just so quickly. <laughs> yeah. Because you have like the template, right? Then you just need to to change it and fit it to the guest, the questions. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, usually they're, they're people that are quite open and quite because they agreed to come onto the podcast. So they're, they're quite open and yeah. flexible with their questions and stuff. And. Um, I just go with it. Yeah, I just, uh, okay, let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. Definitely prefer to have a little bit more time to plan out a little bit more in-depth <laughs> uh, in depth ones. But yeah, yeah. because of the template that we follow exactly. every time, it's quite fast. Yeah. And uh, you, you do live or you record and then publish? Record and then publish. Yeah. 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 We, um, yeah, it's easier. <laughs> you, you spend time on, on editing or usually now like just cutting some few parts and then? Yeah, I'd have going? to ask uh, Jan how much time she spends on editing. I don't edit myself, so I, I don't know. I, she seems pretty fast at it, but okay. um, I, I would have to say that, yeah, we, we do edit a little bit. Sometimes yeah. there's um, uh, guests want to re-record something or there was a, uh, a technical issue or yeah. the Wi-Fi, whatever it might be, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and how, uh, how long is the like episode? What are the range you, you try to keep? So 30 to 45 minutes is the range we try to keep. When it's yeah. one guest, it usually is more on the 30-minute side. When it's more than one guest, it's usually more on the 45-minute side or longer. Mm -hmm. Some really interesting and very talkative people have gone up to an hour. That's kind yeah. of the longest that we do. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's uh, dig into the topic of smart city. Uh, yeah. Because when, when I started like my career and my podcast, I was also focusing on this. But then with passion, everything shifted. I'm more like focusing on, on people and the social aspect of cities. Um, I love to ask you first, like from what you collected and heard and worked with, what, how do you define a smart city? Yeah, it's, um, it's a question that we ask every guest, right? Mm, um, now it's your also turn. On, yeah. Uh, so I have a lot of interesting perspectives. Maybe first I'll give you give you my my yeah. take on it, yeah. and then I can talk about what I've learned from from all the interesting people I've interviewed. Um, so I like to define a smart city in a kind of a dimensional approach. Um, that that means talking about it. There could be more dimensions, of course, but I, I like to stick to three dimensions of kind of a smart city or a smart place or smart region or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, you know, I, I like to think of it in a technological dimension. Mm. So this is kind of the typical, I guess, smart city um, way that people think, okay, using ICT, um, improving life and work um, in, in a relevant way through using yeah urban systems and infrastructure, particularly ICT mm. um, and technology. 
So that's kind of the standard way. And that's usually the dimension that people like to go to first when they talk about a smart city. Okay. Um, but we're missing some dimensions. So um, then next, I would talk about the kind of institutional dimension aspect to a smart city. Um, and this is this is about governance, really, um, okay. and policy, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that, um, yeah, you, you can't talk about uh, a smart city without looking at the system uh, and the governance behind it, um, looking at the cooperation between different stakeholders, um, looking at, yeah, all of these aspects of governance really make a smart city possible, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you can't forget about that dimension um, in a holistic view of a smart yeah. place. Um, and then lastly, I like to talk about uh, the human dimension. So um, this is what we what we talk about with a lot of these co-creation and yeah. all of these things is, you know, uh, applying the the human dimension into what a smart place is. So yeah. um, this is based on people. This is looking at quality of life, looking at mm. education. How do people learn knowledge? Like all these key drivers of uh, social, economic, environmental sustainability. So yeah. this is kind of the dimensional approach that um, I like to take when I talk about smart cities. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's... Uh, so so exactly like... These yeah. are like how to say a triangle of of the technology aspect or layer, and then the institution, the government, yeah. and then yeah. pe people. Yeah. And and all these should result to like enhance people's uh, everyday life somehow. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it goes beyond just quality of life. Of course, that's a, an important aspect yeah. of it. Um, but it should then tie to the overall goal of. Um, I, I tie it back to climate usually, mm. honestly, because uh, I think the quality of life, even if you say, oh, we have all the systems in place to have a high yeah. quality of life, climate change will soon change that and not make that mm. possible. So I, I, I always will go back to, okay, uh, climate as, as the end goal. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you think you will add one more layer or if you want to add one more layer to these three, what will you add? <laughs> Good question. Hmm, that's that's a really interesting one. I I think that these these dimensions kind of encompass it very mm. well, but there's a few other aspects that were told to me um yeah. that basically um so I had I, I interviewed someone last week. Um mm. his name is Joel. Um he's the head of office in Kashkais Ambiente, which is mm. the environmental um, municipally owned company of Kashkais. And yeah. he said something really interesting there mm. about what a smart city is when he first answered it. And I hadn't heard this before, and it was interesting to think about. Uh, it was about the human talent. Um, and so he said that a smart city is a city where all the talent, like the human talent, mm -hmm. um, is properly appraised and used to change the city. So oh. it's about this kind of using the human dimension in a mm. kind of circular way or in like a way that's very sustainable. Mm. Um, and I thought that aspect was really interesting. Interesting. But, mm -hmm. but usually like the smart city definition attached to data and tech. Yeah, right? exactly. Mm. Yeah, it's attached there. That's the technology dimension. Yeah. Um, but in, in all my work is that technology is not, it is a tool. It's not mm. the goal, right? Mm. So that's why it's a layer. That's why it's a dimension. But it's it's not the whole picture. Mm. Is there like an an official definition to a smart city? Like, 
or or everyone explain it from from their <laughs> perspective i mean there there is somewhat of an official definition i think but i think every organization uses it a bit differently i, I mean i'm sure if you ask chat it will give you a textbook def definition i don't know mm. it by heart but um I, i'm and i'm sure if you google it there's a wikipedia definition they will be a little bit different though because yeah. i think the the information chat would take would be um all of the different definitions yeah, exactly. and trying to summarize it right uh, so uh, that's yeah. true how uh, how to say how is your position to ai because now um i i attended uh, utopian hours Mm -hmm. It's like yeah. a conference in Torino. In Italy, yeah. Exactly. And there was a guy from uh, France. I think their name is like Urban AI. Uh, and they talk about, oh, stop telling, saying smart city because now it's like AI uh, world <laughs> and so on. So uh, like how are these attached? What, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, people have started, first of all, with stopping saying smart city, I... I kind of agree with it, but we have yet to find like a better term. And that's why we just mm. keep on using it because yeah. um, it just encompasses so many things into into one phrase mm. um, with. I, I don't think it's the same thing as AI, though. I, I mm. would I would differ my opinion on that. AI is, again, a tool. It's mm. not a goal. And I think a smart city needs to encompass the overall goal of what a city should be. Um, AI, like any technology, is a tool to get there, but it does not. Um, it does. It is not the end, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and how would you define innovation? Because in the in the podcast and in your project, you you work a lot with innovation. Uh, what is innovation in relation to cities? Innovation is doing something new that hasn't necessarily been done before. So um, you can innovate systems, you can innovate processes. Innovation can be technology. Innovation can be all of it in, in one. It's about trying new things and learning from them and um, using those learnings to, to better the city is what I would define as innovation. I've never been asked that question, though, before. So good that you made me think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any like other interesting uh, definition of smart cities that you heard from your guests? Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, most people f focus from the guests on this kind of citizen-centric approach, right? It's mm -hmm. like putting the people first. Yeah. Um, and uh, a smart city is one that serves the citizens, essentially. Um, so it's serving them effectively. Also, being an effective city is one one perspective that I that I heard a lot that the city is efficient and effective in serving the citizens. Mm. Um, a lot of people also touched on um, sustainability and resilience, which I think is very important, as I mentioned. Mm. Um, so I I liked saying that cities need to be very adaptable and agile. Mm. Um, cities are very complex systems. City governments are very bureaucratic. So for a city, city to be adaptable, it's very challenging. Mm. Um, so it's if a city can adapt quickly to to changes, that is a very, very smart yeah. city, I would say. Yeah. yeah, so it's more about how they adapt and how they change their policies and systems and so on. So also yeah. there are a lot of like departments as well needed to be yeah. synchronized, right? Exactly. And um, so I was speaking um, with a podcast guest also about the 
in in their city um it was Vila de Cans in 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 the outskirts of Barcelona mm. um and in their department they have been able to innovate in in a way um where now they have um actually more women in in their department than men um in kind of a, a tech focused department it's it's very challenging exactly. to do right yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the split is still very very wide mm. there um and i think that this is a is an also an important aspect is like how do you innovate internally um, to have a better split of perspectives and how to how to get to your goal by innovating and changing and adapting internally? And I think governments have to do that internally before they can, you know, do that externally also. So that's yeah. that's a challenge. But yeah, uh, can can you can you share with us some of like uh, projects that Babel work with, uh, helping cities to be smarter? Yeah. Um, we've done a lot of projects. So, yeah, tell me, tell uh, me in details. To, yeah, I I have to think on on which ones would would be the best um mm. to talk about. But I guess so. Now we're we're at the beginning of 2024, and we've yeah. we've set kind of our priorities moving forward. So I'll, mm. I'll focus on those ones on what we've seen, what we've done previously that has been really effective, and that's why we're focusing on it moving forward. Um, so right now with cities, um, one thing that I mentioned is that. Um, the market is highly inefficient um, and very confusing for cities. Okay. There's a lot of technology out there, for example. It doesn't necessarily have to be technology, also services, et cetera. Mm. That is very complex to understand um, what specifications. You really have to match like very specific needs from cities to mm. all the different technologies, right? And this is very complex for cities to do. Um, okay. They don't have a good understanding of what's available on the market sometimes. Um, because it's moving so fast, as we mentioned, right? This yeah. market's moving, the innovation technology market's moving very fast. Cities move much slower. So mm. um, one thing that we've been we've been doing is helping them yeah, procure the right technologies, essentially. So the other day, a city in Germany um, called us and they said, okay, we have an urgent need. Our autonomous bus provider fell through. Um, okay. We need to quickly, you know, very quickly come up with other providers that meet these very uh, specific specifications. Okay. And so what we could do is pull from our network, pull from our research um, and give them very quickly um, what options that they had. So we gave okay. them a list of four companies. Mm. This, these are your best bets um, mm. so that they could very quickly change, yeah. cure again and, and go forward. Mm. Um, so I think that's a really interesting uh, way that we're, you know, meeting our main goal of accelerating this market, this connector between public private sector. Mm. Um, another thing that we've been doing for a long time and that's really effective is uh, money, money, money talks, right? <laughs> I had uh, people talk a lot about money on the podcast yeah. um, and money is very important. Cities talk about lack of funding for different initiatives a yeah. lot. Um, and one thing that we do is we help them scan and also um, give them opportunities to access funding. Uh, there's okay. a lot of funding. There's almost yeah. always some kind of funding, but they just mm. don't know about it. Mm. Um, so for example, we were just helping in this new round, but we've also helped with other uh, funding rounds. Many cities across Europe access uh, funding called EUCF, mm. and it's about creating sustainable energy investment concepts. Um, so we've uh, we've helped many cities access this funding and then work with them mm. to to develop these concepts. And now they have to implement, right? So that's the ah, next phase that we we can okay. support with. Yeah. Um, on on implement implementing these concepts, mm -hmm. um, and of course, energy right now is yeah, yeah. <laughs> important in so many aspects. So yeah. 
Um, another and and sorry if I'm droning on too long, no, but good, I, we good. have a lot of different yeah, really that's cool good. Projects. That's good. <laughs> um, but another really cool project that we have is related to training. So we've been doing a lot in the field of smart city training um, mm. for for a while now, right? Yeah. We started off with. Um, a program together with partners in Germany called TÜVSUD. Um, mm. And we we developed a smart city officer training program. And we've developed this in many other kind of ways. Mm. Now we have 30, I think 32 different modules that we're, wow. we're teaching on um, to cities across Europe. Mm. Um, also now expanding outside of Europe a little bit. But um, <laughs> one really cool project that we have ongoing right now is with um, every single municipality in Ireland. Um, it's okay. called the Mobility Accelerator Program. Mm -hmm. It's over the course of three years. Um, so it's it's a it's a national program. Um, and so what we're doing is essentially training the all the people in all of the local authorities on mobility topics. Um, there's a lot of different, obviously different aspects that go into this. It's not yeah. about teaching necessarily on, you know, um, kind of technical aspects of mobility, mm. but how to incorporate in, you know, procurement and in, in innovation, other aspects into that. So yeah. that's that's also a really cool one to talk about. So it's not like um, you're not providing uh, this tech platforms and sensors and so on. No, um, no, we, we're it's more not like a tech services provider. and educational institutional. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're not we're not a tech platform. We're we're a facilitator. Yeah. Um, really is what is what we call we're we're the biggest facilitator in smart cities in Europe. So wow. we um we are facilitating knowledge, we're facilitating market access, mm -hmm. let's say. How how big is the team? So sixty-five people. Um, oh, many. So yeah, and and we like to be local on the ground. So mm -hmm. I'm sitting not right now in our Stuttgart office. Um, that's where we were born. As I mentioned, we're a spinoff from the Fraunhofer um, Research Society. Um, in in Stuttgart. Uh, so that was our original office. Actually, I I heard that uh, our Barcelona office is bigger now. Um, so we're working <laughs> a lot in in Iberia as well. Um, we also have an entity in London. Mm. Um, uh, people sitting. Uh, we also have a small um. My small office in Dusseldorf, in Copenhagen. Yeah. Um, I always miss one when I'm listing these, yeah. so I've definitely <laughs> missed something. But um, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, yeah, you you can tell that we're we we like to be on the ground with the cities, um, getting their insights. So. Yeah, and how is the like the atmosphere of ba Babel? Because uh, when you are splitted in different cities, then there are like small small teams. How is the 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 overall atmosphere like do you feel that you're one team or how do you do so that you feel one one team it's definitely getting more challenging i mm. came to Babel when we had 15 people so it's wow. um, <laughs> a lot different and we were all in stuttgart right um yeah and so and now we're, we're spread out so it's definitely more challenging now mm. but like for example um i just got back like a week ago from our company-wide sprint as we call it okay. it's like a company i never know the right word it's not really a retreat um we work a lot but <laughs> we also have a lot of fun together right ah. so um so there i got to know a lot of the new colleagues who I hadn't mm. met in person yet. Um, we worked for you know five days on 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 what we're doing, what yeah. our goals want to be for 2024, mm. um, and that's a really good way of still connecting the whole team. I mm. think so. That's awesome. And from what you hear in the podcast and what you observe in the projects, what should cities stop doing when <laughs> they plan and develop a smart city? 
Good question. What should they stop doing? I mean, it, it could also be framed in what they should start doing um, kind of in parallel. I think we already talked about the communication aspect. Yes. And that is probably the main things that I preach yeah. over and over again. Um, I also really like to talk about how cities like to think um, a lot about how to incentivize citizens to change behavior, mm -hmm. of course. Um, and I like to talk a lot about how um, you have to make every the options the most convenient for them. Um, so convenience outweighs almost anything else, like money, incentives, anything else. Um, obviously, if you offer a million, a million euros, people will take that. But, you know, usually <laughs> the small money incentives might incentivize some. But in general, if you make a city very convenient, you make yeah. um, the pathways, especially when we talk about mobility, if you make it the most convenient path, people will time and time again, choose the most convenient way to do it. Okay. Um, so I, I like to think about that, that you stop thinking so much about um, other incentives, not that mm. they don't have a role, right? Mm. That these other incentives, like um, I love these, I do love these apps um, that, you know, you, uh, you know, if you cycle, you get um, coins and stuff to, to mm. use at local businesses. I'm not saying stop that. I'm just saying there has to be always a first priority, make it convenient. Mm. Um, mm. So that's, that's kind of my perspective there. Um, other things that cities should stop doing. Um, yeah, I think that cities often are not open enough to businesses. Yeah. Um, so some cities are. Some some city people want to talk to the companies. They want to talk. Um, I know that they get a lot of annoying requests, right? No yeah, one likes yeah. to be approached for sales and, and mm -hmm. hey, buy my buy my technology. Yeah, yeah. And that's something businesses also have to learn how to do better, right? <laughs> um, but, um, but cities uh, need to be more open because they a lot of cities do recognize they need to procure. They need to get these innovations, mm -hmm. but they're so lost in kind of this um, marketplace jungle or however you yeah. want to see it. And they're so kind of bogged down with the regular tasks that they uh, kind of aren't as open as they should be, I think, to um, to this collaboration with businesses and mm. uh, and other partners. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I think some some cities do it very well. Some cities need to work a lot on it. So, yeah, about the the first aspect, that, like make it convenient for the citizens. Mm. But sometimes it might be like uh, unsustainable. Uh, <laughs> Or like, what? What uh, can you elaborate more? Because let let's say, taking a car is a convenience. Yes, uh, but it's not like good. So how can That's, we think? How can we think there? I think that yeah, sometimes taking a car is convenient, um, but I think that. I'm I'm not for someone's. I do think eventually we have to move completely away from cars, but we're not there yet. First mm. of all, yeah. Um. So we also have to figure out the exactly. sharing models options, and things like yeah. that, right? Other, other options. Um. Yeah. But but I think that we we have to look at um the balance, of course, between mm. sustainability and convenience. Um. Obviously, sustainability reigns for me reigns supreme um, as in we need to focus that that should be our our first topic but you look at cities who have made um bicycling you can look at amsterdam as the classic example right mm. um if you look on your app it takes longer to take uh, it takes longer to drive places than to than to <laughs> bicycle so people choose that you know um so it, it's about 
making the options that you want that are most sustainable the most convenient mm. right okay like in the two t- together yeah. yeah yeah i would say and and um, what skills should we learn in order to make smart cities uh, you mentioned communication yes other skills <laughs> that you think like necessary in order to like face challenges and also create this kind of smart city yeah i mean um i think it's really useful to learn about again the market and kind of learn the 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 scope of what's going on in the market um and learn what what technologies are out there learn how how b2g business works mm-hmm. right um how how these kind of i think when you're stuck in kind of urban planning or those types of things i think maybe you don't think so much about the market and the marketplace um so yeah but my first answer is always communications you already said it so <laughs> uh, but then my second answer would be kind of looking at uh, i think business skills and communication skills are always really useful to learn so for many aspects of life as well <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, before we move to the next part of this episode which is going to be more about like uh, you um What are you looking forward to this year? Is there anything new in the podcast, projects? Uh, what is going to happen? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing, um, we, we moved from bi-weekly episodes to weekly episodes because we had mm. so many. I hope we can keep that up with uh, the demand yeah. mm. um, as well. Uh, with, with the podcast, we, we also want to do more of these formats where we push two people who don't know each other yeah. um, into a room together to record. Mm. Uh, I love it so much. Um, it just see, I just see the impact uh, yeah. that it has on the podcast. that people are like hugging afterwards and all of these things. I'm like, <laughs> the podcast just brings it out of people, yeah. you know, it brings people together so yeah. much. Um, I, I love that format so much. So I want to do a lot more of that. Yeah. Looking at other partnerships, of course, as well. Yeah. Hey, if you're interested in a partnership, we're open. Um, but uh, we, we're probably going to renew different partnerships like with Resi. We're mm. probably going to um, look for other partnerships with other network organizations mm. who want to kind of feature their member cities. Yeah. Um, and we want to also feature more of the cities that we've done projects with, um, talking mm. about the projects, deep diving a bit more into certain projects that we think are really interesting and have really unique lessons learned yeah. uh, to share. So. Yeah. Awesome. Do you know there are some like of conferences that you will be there or it's not planned yet? Yes, uh, we have quite an extensive <laughs> event list. We're, <laughs> we're in many places. Um, of course, our two biggest ones of the year is Urban Future. Yeah. Um, we'll be there with the podcast, of course, and we're also planning to do many other sessions. Mm-hmm. Last year, it was actually in Stuttgart, so we were able to yeah, collaborate home. with them on a very yeah. large scale. We had yeah. a side event. Um, we we did a, a, a new format, which now I've done a couple more times too, mm-hmm. called Urban Shark Tank, which is a really yeah. fun session. Um, where we bring in, um, we bring in city sharks is what I call it. And they sit on a a replicability panel um, and companies pitch their use cases, not necessarily their solution, but they pitch Mm -hmm. a use case, how they've implemented it in a specific city. Um, And the sharks will ask them kind of tough questions and advise Uh... them on the replicability of those projects and scaling those up to other cities. Um, And then the audience votes on their on on the best uh, yeah. the best pitch so. that's cool uh, and the companies of course win a prize um yeah. the yeah. the company who wins so um it's a really fun session we're doing it at autonomy this year i'm um, coming up in march um yeah. 
we're gonna do it uh, likely again at Urban Future as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, last year we did it at the Smart City Expo in Barcelona. We're definitely uh, trying to do that again this year. We we um, are also a collaborating partner at Smart at the Smart City Expo. Um, and I'm also there with the podcast. I think I recorded five different episodes last That's year good. there. Um, it's really fun. Yeah. So those are our, those are our big ones. Yeah. Um, but we have lots of other, we like to be involved in a lot of other more local yeah. events and, um, yeah, mobility events, energy events, anything above, anything about cities where, yeah. where we try to be there. So that's awesome. And, uh, so moving on to the next part, how, uh, do you keep your work-life balance? My work-life balance. That's a tough question, you know, because, um, I'm a person that, loves to work mm-hmm. um i will say i'm i'm very motivated by work and i'm very motivated i i love working um so it is very difficult for me to keep a uh, work-life balance um I, and it's something i've struggled with over time um i've i've been yeah i i just love love the drive but my biggest thing and i've gotten a lot better at it especially in the last i don't know year or so mm-hmm. about really finding time outside of work um i have a lot of different hobbies and stuff um and i want to do those too so my biggest thing is time blocking um okay. my calendar huh? shows me every hour of what i'm gonna do that day okay um Mm-hmm. And for some, that might seem a little bit too, ooh, I want structured. more flexibility. And uh, yes, I do still keep some flexibility in there to change it. And I just adapt it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I think I have to time block because otherwise I just get <laughs> into my work and I just work too late, et cetera. Yeah. But if I have it in my calendar that, you know, from 7 p.m. Yeah. onwards or whatever, I'm, um, I have to walk my dog and I have to mm-hmm. uh, and I, I have plans with my husband to go to dinner. Yeah. Uh, whatever it might be, um, then that's what I'm going to do. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's that's how I do it. <laughs> that's nice. What what uh, what are your hobbies? Yeah, um, I have lots of hobbies. Um, I have a goal for 2024 to do yoga every day. Mm, um, <laughs> nice. I yeah. And it could just be, you know, when we were at the sprint, the company retreat, um, yeah. uh, I did it for just five minutes in the morning because ah. that's all I could manage because we were yeah. working 16 hour days, et cetera. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, um, I I really, I really love, uh, really love doing that right now. I was yeah. doing a lot more weightlifting um, in the past. I'd love to do that as well, to be active. Um, I walk my dog a lot. Uh, I have a wonderful dog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's great. So I would try to walk her like three times a day. Wow. Um, and I love to hike and I'm really into paddleboarding in the summer as well. Mm. Um, so those are kind of my active uh, yeah, arenas, yeah, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um, I've really, really gotten into in the last year in 2023. I really mm. needed to like read just mystery books. I don't know why. <laughs> I just really got into mystery books. Okay. Um, Interesting. for me, it was just engaging, but still light enough where yeah, I could yeah. uh, read, really get into it after a long day of work even. <laughs> um, and, uh, I love, of course I still love traveling a lot. Mm. Um, I travel a lot for work though. So I try to balance it a bit. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, but I, I love to travel. I love trying uh, different food. Um, mm. my husband and I are both really into Indian food. Okay. Um, I've, I've, I've spent quite some time in India. Mm. Um, we've, we've traveled there also together and, yeah. uh, that's, we eat Indian food probably like two or three times a week. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> like it's, it's, I'm, a, I'm a little obsessed. I love it though. Yeah, um, yeah. 
so we're always looking to to find the best Indian places. Uh, we've mm -hmm. tried, you know, every I think every single Indian place <laughs> in the Shukar region by now. Um, oh. So I can tell you all the best Indian yeah, spots yeah. if you need. Um, <laughs> hit me up. Um, um, and I recently, so when I was younger, I, uh, my mom was a piano teacher and yeah. I played violin all through growing up. And then I quit for a long time. You know, I went through the teenage, um, angst of, you know, uh, mm. and I left traveling for a long yeah, time. Yeah. Right. And, and everything. Um, and I recently bought like a electric silent violin to start <laughs> playing again. Silent? Um, what's that? Electric silent? Yeah, silent. Yeah, because you know when you live um you when you live in Germany, you have to yeah. be very careful about the noises you create. <laughs> People, you're, you don't want your neighbors getting upset with you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you can put in headphones. You can plug ah, it in and put in headphones, smart. and you can play. And it's not completely silent, but it's a lot quieter because it doesn't okay. have a body. Okay. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think I think that's most of my hobbies um, outside <laughs> of work. So. Yeah. And how is like your your daily routine if you walk us through the day? Like when you wake up, uh, what do you do when you go to work, come back? Like yeah. a typical day in your life. Yeah, a typical day. Um, it, if I'm here in at home, um, it usually looks like I, I wake up, I try to read for the first like 15 minutes with like what, my cup what, of what Earl Grey tea. What time you wake up? Uh, what time do I wake up? Um, usually around six. Okay, very early. Yeah. Oh. Um, I like to have time in the mornings. I, I hate being rushed in the mornings. That's like my <laughs> least favorite thing ever. I hate like getting out of bed, putting on my clothes and rushing out the door. Like <laughs> I hate that so much. I want to like, you know, yeah. have my have my tea, you know, yeah. in the morning basically. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, and then and then I like to do my yoga after that. Mm -hmm. So I read, I do my yoga and then I get ready for the ready for the day or walk the dog. That varies. Yeah. Um, so take a nice walk. Uh, right now, I'm living right outside of uh, Stuttgart. I live in a really beautiful town called Esslingen. It's about 20 minute, uh, 20 minutes with the with the train. Yeah. Um, and um, we have really nice parks and everything. So it's it's nice. I start every every day with a walk in the park. Nice. Um, and uh, I usually listen to to things while I'm podcasts. Uh, mm. Yesterday I was listening to your podcast, Mustafa, oh, also thank to you. to pre prepare myself a little <laughs> bit more too. Um, uh, so sometimes I listen to, uh, but actually I I do try to listen to other things mm. besides smart city focus yeah. because I it just feels too much like work then. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I like a Blinkist. I'm a big fan of Blinkist, which is like you get summaries of books um, okay. from like my nonfiction kind of fix. Mm. Um, or I listen to German podcasts. Um, I'm getting uh, I'm planning to get German citizenship this year. So nice. um, I'm, I'm working on my German more uh, yeah. again. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, and then I, I start work. Um, usually I work some from home, but mm. also sometimes I come into office um and uh yeah try to take a lunch break work yeah. more my yeah. my day is usually super busy with meetings um okay. i'm i lead our partnerships and communication so mm. i meet with a lot of different partners i meet with yeah. a lot of different people and i also lead a team so i, I coordinate a lot between teams and with my teammates mm. um so yeah lots of meetings usually try to block time to to also do some <laughs> other work um and then in the evenings, um, uh, usually, uh, also for lunch, I walk my dog. Yeah. Um, 
again. And then in the evenings, usually my break is going to go walk the dog, right? Um, so that's kind of my break from work. What time you finish working? Like, Oh, it varies a lot, like actually. Six, I don't seven? have a set time. Yeah. Um, I try to finish by by seven latest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you go back home by train? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. With the S-Bahn in Germany, it's called. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And and then, yeah, dinner. Usually Indian, <laughs> as I said. <laughs> now, um, I honestly don't usually have too much time for cooking. I try to, if I if I do have time, I try to bat cook a bit on, on Sundays. Yeah. Um, but it, it's hard. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I do like to cook some, too, sometimes. I just... <laughs> find myself without the time and yeah. without the priority level on it yeah. so and, um, and you sleep early yeah. or no do you sleep early i try to be in bed by 10 okay um, that's early and then i read uh, okay, and fall yeah. asleep to yeah, feeding yeah, usually yeah. yeah cool and um i have some like uh, philosophical questions here mm, okay uh, for for you um if you, if you like enter a room uh, and this room uh, full of people that you met before <laughs> so who is the one that you look forward to meet and talk with again in this room yeah i mean this is such a difficult question for me because i have i have so many interesting people i've met um mm. I mean, it, uh, my first thoughts will always go to the podcast guest, actually, that I have. Um, and so that's, yeah, I, I had a really interesting podcast episode um, with Bitol Picard. Um, he's a Swiss explorer. You might know him. He flew around the world twice. Um, he's a really interesting one. So I would definitely probably go up to him and say, hey, um, <laughs> nice to see you again. Um and also get his thoughts. I think in the, in the podcast episode, also he mentioned a third round the world, and I haven't heard an update from that. So I definitely want okay. to get an update from him on yeah. that. Um, he also started uh, the Solar Impulse Foundation. We're partners with them. Um, so yeah, that's that's obviously a really interesting one. That was another one actually where I brought in um, two people that hadn't really they had seen each other before, but okay. hadn't really talked before. Yeah. Um, a minister from the Brussels region. Mm. Um, other people I would go up and say hi to. Um, I I actually didn't get the chance. We we did an episode, um, actually in Spanish with my colleague, um, yeah. uh, that uh, was with um Eileen Velez Vega. She's mm -hmm. like the secretary of the Department of Transport and Public Works for Puerto Rico. Um, and I it was it was at an event called Global Mobility Call in Madrid. And um, it, the timing wise, because we brought together also in that episode, the mayor of Las Rosas, um, Madrid, and the timing, he had to leave. Um, oh. And she had a she had a, a panel that that went long. Okay. And so we had very short oh. time to record for that. Yeah. It was a very short episode, like 15 minutes. They said, we have 15 <laughs> minutes, let's go. Um, and in that, of course, I was in the room actually and listening in Spanish and my Spanish is a bit rusty now, but I could understand a lot. And it, it was really, really interesting, a lot of her perspectives on things and what she's working on. And I didn't get the chance to, to fully talk with her after that. So I would definitely go up to her and be like, Hey, like, tell me more. I want to get to know you better. Cause she's a very interesting <laughs> yeah. woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Oh, there's so many more. I, I don't even know how to mention. <laughs> um, I love the CIO of Istanbul. Um, he's a really interesting guy. His name is Erol. Um, and I, although actually, I think I have a meeting planned with him. So okay, anyway, say, oh, we, we meet yeah. later. But, yeah, 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 um, that's good. <laughs> but he's a really, really interesting, yeah. interesting guy. Really friendly. Um, and uh, we hosted him, hosted him at our um, side event mm. before the Smart City Expo. Uh, he was one of our keynotes and yeah, really interesting uh, character. So yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. That was a that's a many very tough many people, about. huh? Many people. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm missing. I know I'm missing and losing out on many people. I would actually go up and say hi to first, uh, uh, but yeah. yeah, we we yeah. we start with these people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if someone gives you like a box of everything you lost, mm-hmm. what is the first thing you will look and pick up from this box? Yeah, so this is a bit of um, a, a serious question for me, actually, not to bring down the tone, but um, a, a couple of years ago, there was a massive fire in Colorado and yeah. my whole hometown burned down and my oh. parents' house as well. So mm. actually, I, I, we lost all like my childhood photos and all of that. So I think that would be mm. the first thing that I would uh, that I would look for if I had mm. got the chance. So Yeah, yeah. Sad to hear that, but they what happened? They rebuilt the house, or how how did, yeah. did it go? Yeah, they they actually I was back visiting um, last year, and mm. they, I got to stay in their new house, and so they were very fortunate in in many ways. Um, but yeah, over like fifteen hundred homes burned in that fire. It was yeah. the most destructive one in in Colorado mm. history, so it was quite. Uh, yeah, it was quite um, devastating, obviously for my family, but yeah. the. Um, the good news is now they're uh, pretty much totally adjusted and have yeah. most of their, have you know, gotten most of their things back. My mom, I mentioned she was a piano mm-hmm. teacher. She, you know, lost her, her uh, massive mm-hmm. piano in the fire. Uh. And she also lost like all of her music, which, you know, as a musician is quite devastating it, because yeah. you have all like your notes and your fingerings yeah. and everything. So even if you buy the new music again, it's, not it's just same. not the same. No, so, no. um, so obviously there's things like in like the childhood photos that you yeah. can't replace. But yeah. yeah, they they have a really they were able to build a really, really mm. nice house with, you know, it's better. It's new. And yeah. It's, it's yeah. a better house than was there yeah. before. But of course, it was actually a historical house that they had mm. before. It was an old mining, old mining okay. house. Um, and uh, so obviously yeah. the history yeah. loss there is is mm. still quite sad. But yes. So. uh and hundred years from now, what do you want people to read about you, hear about you, tell stories about you? Yeah, honestly, I was thinking about this and I, I want to put it very simply. I think I just want people to think, to talk that I made a positive difference, like that yeah. I had an impact, a positive impact, and that I was a kind person. Like, okay. I think anything beyond that is just... Yeah, too much, too much to ask. I think if if you as there's so many people in the world, if you can just say that someone talked about you in a hundred years yeah. and said, ah, they were they were a really kind person and they made a really good mm. impact. I think that's that's all you can ask for. That's so. nice. That's nice. And if you choose like another profession, completely different from what you work with now, what mm-hmm. will you choose and why? 
Yeah, also a difficult question. Um, I think I would love, I love the education field. Um, actually, when I first was starting to go to um, university, I thought I wanted to be a professor. Um, I quickly changed that. Um, but um, I, I could see myself going back into kind of women's education or some kind of educational field, maybe communications, etc. Mm. Um, but also, I guess something to do with traveling or something to do with like um, sustainable or like plant-based food that I'm very yeah. passionate about. Mm. Um, or like going less from or like going more into kind of a climate like yeah. fully climate focused rather than just on uh, or like more in innovation, et cetera, but moving mm. more into like climate, climate, climate is all I do kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah. Uh, before we move to the last section, uh, you mentioned in the beginning, like you work with the, in the project of uh, women education. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us more about it? Yeah, so when I was in Kyrgyzstan, um, I was working, I mentioned I was working as like an, an English teacher. Actually, if you go to Kyrgyzstan, you will, no matter what you do, if you're a native English speaker, you will do some kind of English teaching. Because <laughs> that's what people want <laughs> from you. Um, so uh, all of my colleagues and stuff, even if they didn't, uh, weren't in English yeah. teaching, they still taught some English to tutored people in English. So. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I was actually uh, mostly working with English teachers in a small mm. village, um, where, so obviously the goal is after you leave that, that gap is not still there that you've yeah. actually taught the teachers because they're mm. the ones that are going to make the long-term impact. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, when I started doing that, I also was looking for other projects. And Kyrgyzstan is a very tough um, country to live in as a woman. Um, there's still a lot of uh, disparities, let's say, and it's 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 still very culturally accepted um, that women are um, have a very different role, let's say, mm. than than men. Um, and so, um, what I was seeing also, especially in very rural and remote communities, um, you know, it's very common for young girls to get married 16 to 18 years old. Um, and a lot of the students that I had were very, very passionate students and young women, I should say. Um, mm. And they really wanted to do more with their lives. But culture was really telling them and, and societal pressures were really telling them um, you should get married and have yeah. kids. And that's what you mm. should do mm. Mm. Um, instead of maybe going on uh, to to go to university. A lot of them, their dream was to go to the U.S. Mm. Right. And, and study there, et cetera. Um, and a lot of the gaps that you see with this is that also education, and of course, there's a lot of data around this. Education yeah. really um, helps people, helps people to yeah. Yeah. Uh, to break out of societal norms and uh, continue mm. on on a path of you know really contributing in more ways to society rather than just you know birthing children. Mm. That's mm. noble, and if that's what you want to do, then of course that's also okay. Um, but uh, yeah, just just pursuing their passions, I should say. And a lot of the education that was missing was also around like taboo topics. Mm -hmm. Let's say like sexual education that is just not talked about at all. So women, you know, they get married at 16 and they have no concept of, you know, um, birth control or any of these other uh, other things. And so um, one thing that I wanted to do was, you know, uh, create leadership in in the young girls um 
So I started in the region. It, this program had been also done before in other regions, yeah. but never had been done in this region. Mm. So I, you know, wrote a grant to get funding for a program that I started. Um, um, the grant actually came from Michelle Obama's uh, Girls Leading Our World um, grant and um, got funding for for a project where we took we took kind of the the top leaders, let's say, in these you know age group of I think fourteen to eighteen year old women, um, uh, and they were were taught a lot of leadership topics, a lot of taboo topics. We trained them in a lot of other aspects, um, just topics that they didn't learn in mm. in their schools, right? Uh, as well as um, how to teach it. So what they then did was then they went back into their schools and into their communities and they taught their peers that. Um, so to to create that cycle. So mm. that was the biggest project that I, <clears throat> excuse me, and that was the biggest project that I did at that time. So. Wow, such uh, how to say, so much love and energy and leadership in this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I I ended up having to leave Kyrgyzstan under not the best circumstances, yeah. but I I still feel very uh, strongly about you know, the program and about the, the, those young women. And I hope it still has, has made yeah. a continued impact. So that's great. So, uh, uh let's, uh, finish this great episode. Uh, I think we, we can have like a season to talk like with different <laughs> episodes. Uh, this is a good start. So, uh, now we are in the final section and we have three questions. The first one is about you giving a message to yourself. Yeah. Um, the message to myself, uh, I really wanted to, yeah, this is, um, this is a bit of a tough one also for me. I was like a message to myself on, on what I, what I really want to tell myself. I think I'm going to keep it simple and say, mm -hmm. you know, I sometimes, uh, it's, I, I, when I was younger, I used to go out of my comfort zone all the time. And when you get older, you don't push yourself as much. Um, and so, for example, I'm very comfortable on your side of the mic um, and not so comfortable <laughs> on this side. So this has been a great experience for yeah. me to be like, hey, let's let's chat about these yeah. topics um, and, and don't basically don't be afraid to go on the other end of the mic, I would say it would be the message to myself. Great. And uh, three takeaway messages to our listeners. Yes. Um, one, I would say what I did, um, so what I did today, um, was I also kind of was able to reflect a lot on my ex very past experiences that don't necessarily relate super chron chronologically to my work today, but on my experiences, for example, in Kyrgyzstan and how that shapes my view. Um, so I, I want to, to challenge you to think about the experiences in your life that you haven't found connection with the work that you're doing today and make the connections there um, and, and really think about how you can use these lessons learned and use these experiences um, mm. still in your work today. Um, that's number one. Yeah. Um, another topic that I would like to, to talk about is um, about this uh, kind of, I, I want to relate it again back to, to mm. Kyrgyzstan. Um, so transport and mobility is one topic that of course I work on a lot in my line of work now, mm. um, often talking about reducing car usage. Mm. We spoke on it today also a little bit. Um, and, but it, it always reminds me of how in Kyrgyzstan, 
this use of the car was so entangled with like societal and court cultural norms mm. and autonomy that comes with it. Mm. So for example, like uh, hardly any women drive in Kyrgyzstan. Um, and that's just always how it was. Right. So mm. the restriction on women's ability to drive is not a transportation issue, really. It's really deeply entwined with gender norms, with societal mm. norms, et cetera. Um, so it's, it's about thinking about in those ways, right? So think about the societal and cultural norms. Uh, sometimes we get really stuck in, for example, uh, we need to reduce car usage. Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking also about uh, what we might um, be mindful of how yeah. different communities and their perceptions of freedom are, for example. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. my challenge, my my comment is to say, okay, here is uh, here is the issue. Here's mm. the challenge. We know we want to reduce car usage. Yes. What is the other aspect to it? What are what are people feeling yeah. that is tying them to that? Right. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and the last aspect I would I would touch on is um, it's thinking about, I guess, connectivity. Mm -hmm. um, and one takeaway I, I mentioned many times, okay, smart city, smart place, smart region, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. And that's because I think that um, it's, it's really that this sense of community and uh, let, let me rephrase this. So yeah. um, when we discuss about, again, like urban mobility planning in the context of smart cities, it's really crucial to think about um, that the rural areas are often forgotten about. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm quite passionate about how do we connect better the urban with the rural mm -hmm. and how that can, you know, progress into a vision of not smart cities, but smart regions. Mm -hmm. um, so not treating them as kind of separate entities, but thinking of them, okay, cities rely on surrounding countryside, maybe for resources, rural areas can benefit from innovation, yeah. resources, and mm -hmm. how do we connect this? So mm -hmm. this kind of paradigm shift in, in how we're viewing urban life um, and that we should be viewing it together with rural life as well. Yeah, yeah. I love your message is like from the personal to the cultural to the more like geographical uh, <laughs> scale. Yeah. And the last question is going to be you asking it to our listeners. Um, do you have any questions that our listeners can think about and reflect on? Yeah, my question to the listeners would be um, what is what is slowing you down? Mm. What what do you need in your hand right now to accelerate the change that you're trying to make? Okay. And if that one thing, yeah. So that's the question. What is that one thing that's slowing mm -hmm. you down? Pinpoint it. And, and I want to, I want to hear about it too. So big and good question. Yeah. So thank you so much for giving your valuable time to the podcast. Uh, I love your podcast. I love what you do. So keep up the good work and keep loving cities. Thank you so much for the invite. This has been really fun. You know, I, I actually thought that it was going to be a bit uh, scary to come on and talk to you for like an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. But we did it like so easily, like yeah, the right? time just flew by. So yeah. thank you so yeah. much. Thank you.